0: Alright, well please, um, if you're not still there, turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, in verses 1 through 11. And as you're finding that, I ask this question, when you think of a gift, when you think of a gift or a present, what comes to mind? And don't think spiritual gifts yet, okay? Don't give that answer yet. We're, we're getting to that. But just a gift. And maybe we'd think of a, a birthday or, or Christmas presents. Packages, wrapping paper, ribbons, bows, all that good stuff. Now, when you think of that kind of gift, when someone lovingly hands you that package and says, here, open this, who is that gift for? Who's supposed to open it and then possess it and use it and enjoy it. Well, you are, right? Uh, when you give your kids Christmas presents or birthday presents, you don't give them a present and say, good, now take that and give it to your brother or your sister. It's for them. It's your present. Enjoy. Well, now let's think of a different situation. What if, like uh, George Mueller, you were in charge of an orphanage and your finances were just simply depleted? The kitchen was absolutely bare. You had nothing to feed the children. You had nothing to feed yourself. And then hearing of your ministry to those children, a kind couple came to your aid and gifted you enough money to pay all the utilities, to buy all the groceries, to feed everyone in your orphanage for the next three months. What a gift! What a gift, right? Uh, One of these gifts, of these two styles, one of these gifts more closely represents the nature, the purpose of spiritual gifts. Can you guess which one? Say the second one. That's right, it's the second one, not the first, the second. And now just to help us with this uh, opening illustration, to, to shed even more light on this and what we'll see today in this passage, Imagine what would happen if you let either of those kinds of gifts go to waste. If you let the Christmas present or the birthday present go to waste, uh, that would be a bummer. It, it would stink, right? Uh, maybe you got a new pair of shoes and and they just never made it out of the box, or, or you got a gift card to Dairy Queen or something like that, and, and after a year goes by, you remember that it's in your wallet or in your purse. You pull it out and you realize, ah, it's expired. That would stink, but, but the worst that would come of it is that you'd, you'd miss out on some ice cream. Or you wouldn't get to enjoy those new shoes. Worse things could happen. But what about the second gift? The gift to you for your orphanage. Remember, that couple gave you the money you needed for everything. But you need to pay the bills. The lights aren't going to stay on because you have money. You have to pay the money to keep the lights on, correct? You need to go to the grocery store. You need to buy the food and and prepare the meals. If you don't, it's going to be cold. It's going to be dark. And everyone's going to be hungry. But if you do, everyone will be illumined. The lights will be on and warm, and fed. When you let a gift like that go to waste, it hurts everyone. But when you use it, everyone is blessed for it. It is for the common good. So let's look first in this passage at verse 7. Normally we'll start at verse 1, but let's look at verse 7 first. This is our main lesson point, and we want to get this in our minds and our hearts before we look at all the other stuff today to make sure we keep it all in the right perspective. So verse 7, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. And there are four really important things to see in this verse Uh, that I want us to get into our minds and hearts before we look at the rest of the text today. Number one, to each, to each one, please know that if you have heard the gospel, if you have heard of your sin and Christ's substitutionary sacrificial death in your place for your sin, if you believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, and you've placed your faith and trust in Him alone for your salvation— if that's you, if you're a Christian, you have been gifted by God. Period. You've got gifts. Every Christian is gifted by God for service. And there isn't a ceremony. There isn't, uh, there's no fireworks, no laser show, no smoke that comes like at the beginning of a basketball game or something and people run out and tell them what, what your position you play This is, Pastor Annie, gift of evangelism, and nothing like that happens, okay? It's not like that. When you become a child of God, you are given the Spirit of God. You are placed into the body of Christ and gifted to serve. So church, Christians, how many of you, here's your hardest quiz question of the day, how many of you have spiritual gifts? Yeah, (laughs) only one raise? No, all of you. Every single one of us has gifting. Number two, second really important thing. This word manifestation. What in the world is that? Uh, This word means to show, to display. Uh, When you use your gifting, you are displaying something. You are giving evidence that something is present in you. the question being, what are you displaying? What is being shown? What is present? And we know the answer from this verse, right? Number three, the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God. The God who spoke the universe into existence. The God who holds it together by his will. The Spirit that hovered over the face of the waters in Genesis 1 in creation. The Spirit who came upon Samson so that he could defeat all those Philistines and guard Israel. The Spirit who left Saul and came to King David. The Spirit who descended as a dove when the Father declared, this is my beloved Son. This Spirit of God, Christian, is in you. And the evidence of His presence The manifestation of his giving you a gift is seen when you serve. Does that make sense? When you are serving, we can see God working in you. For what? Number four, for the common good. For the common good. When good comes to people, For their benefit, through you. Not experiences that leave me speechless. Well, that was wild and crazy. See what that guy did? That must have been of God. No. Not like that. Not supernatural oddities. When I serve people in a way that points them to Christ and encourages them to grow, to become more like him, whether through my words or my actions, and that service by the grace of God, also proves to be fruitful, even to varying degrees. Then, it's then, the Spirit of God has been manifested through my service for the common good. So that's it. That's the main thing we need to learn and apply today. To get nothing else, get that. But please listen to the rest too, okay? (laughs) Every individual Christian Every individual Christian has been gifted by God in a way that benefits the body. So we know this. Every individual needs the church. Everyone in the church is gifted to benefit the whole body, which means every single one of us needs others who will also benefit us. We need the church in our lives. God never set things up for Christians to live this life solo not a one-person enterprise it is a corporate gathering assembling of his people every individual needs the church and the church needs every individual there is not a soul in this church that we could do without we need all of you all of us need all of you does that make sense That's how God has done this. That's how He has put this together. God has designed and put us together in such a way that every individual believer needs to receive ministry and service from the body of Christ, and the church needs every individual to manifest the Spirit through their Spirit-gifted service in order to grow at our fullest potential. We're not a bunch of people who mutually agree to hang out together and sit through sermons every Sunday. Praise God, that'd be kind of boring. We are an organism. body, Christ being our head, and we all need everyone to be involved for the common good. Now, let's get to the rest of the story and dig into what Paul—all Paul's saying to the church at Corinth uh, to see what else we can learn and apply. And based on what we've seen so far in this letter to the Corinthian church, what we've seen Paul sometimes teach and sometimes rebuke the church for— of the two gifts that we talked about at the beginning of the message here, which of those gifts do you think the Corinthian church was hoping that spiritual gifts would be more like? The kind where you, like, get a shiny package and open up and, ooh, I get to play with this this year. Or the these people need you. I'm going to give you this gift to serve all of these people. Which one do you think the Corinthian church was getting after? Probably the first one, right? And the answer to that sounds like the answer is yes. So verse 1. Now concerning spiritual gifts. And I don't usually like to use Greek words, but it's helpful in this passage today. This word is pneumatikos. And it can just mean spiritualities, spiritual things. Uh, It's translated this way in this text because of the context, what the rest of the chapter is about. But he's going to use, Paul's going to use a different word for another time we're going to see spiritual gifts in this chapter. So that's why I'm showing the difference, okay? So now concerning spiritual gifts or spiritualities spirituality brothers i do not want you to be uninformed to be left ignorant you know that when you were pagans you were led astray think of being led astray as uh, as pagans you're being led as a slave to someone to do something you were led astray to mute idols however you were led. It's interesting, as we see what these giftings are that the Corinthian church was trying to get after, that the idols who were influencing their thinking were mute. thinking about wanting speaking gifts categorized by or given to us supposedly by mute idols, which means, did those idols actually give or make up those things? Or were those desires of our own hearts, inventions of our own hearts? Okay, these church members in Corinth, remember this, it's so helpful for us to remember these church members did not grow up in Christian homes. They didn't even grow up in non-religious homes. They had been pagan people. They were slaves to sin previously and taken captive to worship idols who could not speak anything. Therefore, verse 3, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. So in these first three verses, Paul is setting up this. There's being led by the Holy Spirit, that kind of being spiritual. And there's being a, in the pattern of, in the likeness of, the old being led away captive by the pagan worship. There's a contrast between these two things. And we need to keep that in mind as we read through the rest of this passage. And there were three, three pagan practices that the Corinthian believers would have been familiar with, more than three, but three that are specifically important for us to know and think about in this text, okay? The first one uh, was called ecstasia, and where we would get the word ecstasy from. And this practice included things like, and listen closely, frenzied verbal chants, feelings of euphoria like something just came over you and took control uh whirling unusual dances uh, visualization or contemplation of of sacred objects of sacred things think hard enough and focus enough on these things and uh, which led to in the pagan worship uh things like body out of body trances orgies and all kinds of stuff the idea being you're achieving ecstasy do this verbal chant. Think really hard about these things. Uh, believe that it's going to happen. Uh, do a bunch of uh, movements and dances and twirl around. Uh, do all of these things and believe it so much that you'll accomplish and achieve this level of spirituality. And you don't have it if you don't do it. Okay, that might be ringing some bells for us. Uh, the second pagan practice was called enthusiasmus. It's where we get the word enthusiasm from. Boy, those two words are great words, and they're stealing them from us, aren't they? No. Enthusiasmus. This included doing things like uh, trying to do divination, meaning uh, getting revelation, revelatory dreams, trying to see into the future, like a fortune teller kind of a thing. Uh, a biblical word we might use, like the Old Testament prophecies or revelation prophecy, seeing what's going to come. And a third practice was simply using the pagan deities to curse, to curse rivals. Uh, Archaeologists have found in Corinth evidence of the people utilizing their idolatrous worship to bring curses from the gods against their rivals in business or their rivals in society to get an edge, to get an advantage over them. So if you look back at verse 3 where it says, Uh, No one being led by the Spirit of God is going to say Jesus is accursed. People who are led captive by the uh, idols are going to say things like that. The way that is in the Greek would be, we could say it like this, Jesus anathema, which can also be translated as Jesus grants a curse. So it's quite possible that the people in Corinth, the church in Corinth, were looking back to their old pagan ways Think about, think about how they were conducting the Lord's Supper and the us-and-them activity of the church there. Think back to uh, the church uh, going to the courts against one another in chapter 6. This idea that we could use our God to bring down a curse against our rival. And certainly we would never want to feel that way or think that way about our brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, Either there would be this carryover from the pagan idolatry of cursing their god for some reason Or using their god to bring down someone else Some have even suggested if you uh, have heard the word gnosticism a higher thinking kind of religiosity That the body is just intrinsically evil and the inner man the spirit is what's the only thing that's holy And they took that so far as to say that jesus body was sinful But that his spirit was holy that's heretical, by the way. Don't believe that, all right? So one of those options is what's going on here in verse 3. I think it makes sense with, the, with the, what we know about their pagan practice that they might have been using Jesus to curse their brothers and sisters in Christ to try to get an edge on them. Either way, the true God would not have us cursing Christ or cursing others to get ahead. Instead, truly being led by the Spirit results in us, Christians, calling Jesus Lord. Not just saying it lip service, but a sincere submission to the Lordship of Christ. Remember in John 3, let me read to you from John 3, Jesus told Nicodemus, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So if you're not born again, you're going to be led by false worship, right? Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he's old? How can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Water and Spirit. And he explains that in verse 6. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is Spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. And here's the key verse for us. The wind blows where it wishes. And you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. So guess who the only people are who are going to be able to genuinely, sincerely say and live, Jesus is my Lord. Only those who have been led by the Spirit of God. So, looking back to Corinth, we have this contrast. On the one hand, you have those being led by idols who are speaking frantically, caught up into euphoria, dancing in strange ways, are trying to see into the future, cursing others to get ahead, and continuing in their sin. And on the other hand, you have those who are being led by the Spirit of God. And they are sincerely calling Jesus their Lord, their master, uh, which means they aren't just hearers of the word. They are not just talkers, but they are doers. Their lives are changing by the grace of God. They're following Jesus. There's fruit in their lives. So big picture. There was a spirituality being sought after, being practiced in the church that was not of the Holy Spirit and more closely resembled the spirituality of the paganism of their time, of their culture. Way back in chapter 3, verse 1, Paul wrote this, but I, brothers, and remember they're brothers, and for us as we talk about these gifts and there's the debates, right, and the arguments about which gifts are today, which gifts aren't for today, Paul calls them, brothers, okay? He says, but I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people. And he uses the same word in verse 1 of chapter 3 as he uses in verse 1 of chapter 12. Spiritualities. They wanted to be known as spiritual people. And Paul says, I can't call you that. Even if they're doing all this stuff, I can't call you that. But as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. So we think about sometimes this idea that, man, if I try hard enough, if I do enough, if I really believe it's going to happen to me, and I have all these experiences that I believe are are spiritual, Holy Spirit-taking-over-me kind of things, Paul looks at that practice amongst the people, and he says to them, I can't speak to you as mature but as infants. Okay, so we don't get to define what spiritual maturity is. God does. Uh, To the Corinthian believers, they wanted to be spiritual. They wanted to be gifted by the spiritual. But their fervor to get gifts was resulting in a spirituality that mimicked their pagan background instead of being truly led by, constrained by the Holy Spirit of God. So, now, moving on. Verse 4. Paul begins to set the record straight on spiritual gifts here. Verse 4. Now, there are varieties... Of gifts. And now the word for spiritual gifts has changed to a word that we might recognize, charisma. And that's where we start to hear the idea of charismatic, right? But the word is charisma. Which means, actually, a free gift. Charisma, the word in Greek means a free gift. Not a gift obtained through efforts of spirituality like the ecstasy they were used to. This is not a try harder, have enough faith, uh, wait on the Lord as long as it takes. None of that. It is a free gift of grace from God. Uh, So now there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities. And this word means uh, what is worked out or energized, making it effective. A variety of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all in everyone. So not just the doing of the work, but also the fruitfulness of it is an evidence of God's gifting in us. And then in verse 7, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common Good. So just some things from these verses. Do you see the trinity in these verses? The Spirit gives the gifts. Our service is in obedience to our Lord. That's Christ. And the effectiveness, the fruit, is ordained by God. And in context, when you see these words together, God is referring to the Father. Okay, so remember Paul planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. And we have this order of these things. There's gifts, and then service, and then the activities, the effectiveness. Uh, The Spirit gifts us for service, to do. And our service will be as effective, as powerful as God wills. It's hard to be effective if we're not doing. Does that make sense? There's an order of events there. And as we said at the beginning of this message... Uh, The thrill for us, Christians, is not, should not be found in the experience, any kind of euphoria, any kind of supernaturalness and supernatural experience, but instead in being led by the Spirit to serve the Lord, to see fruit, the common good, to turn people to Christ and to see the building up of the body of Christ. What makes us the most excited? Say, oh, I just had the most wonderful experience. It's like I lost control. And I was doing all of these things, and it was indiscernible to people, but I felt great. Is that more joyful to us than seeing a person who was lost in sin, dead, headed to hell, putting their faith in Christ? Or a person who's immature in their faith and learning new things and growing and seeing it change in their life and causing them to grow and walk and follow Jesus better. Which of those should make us most thrilled, most excited, give us the most joy? Well, if we're led by the passions of our own heart, it'll be one of those two. If we're led by the Holy Spirit of God, it'll be the latter. Does that make sense? That's who we are to be. Now in verse 8 and following, Paul gives us this information from which uh, we've tried over the years to make a list. We've all probably seen these lists of the spiritual gifts, and and when you see what the gifts are on this list, it kind of makes sense considering all that we've discussed so far today. And I mean by that I mean this. Uh, Paul is writing a list of gifts in this passage to this church at this time considering what they're struggling with. And so when we look at these lists... When we look at this list specifically, it kind of makes sense that he would hone in on and zero in on these gifts. And we'll see why in just a second. Verse 8. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom. To another, the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. The same Spirit is going to be doing the same kind of work towards the same end goal. Does that make sense? So giftings that make people go this way and giftings that make people go that way and that way and that way. You go, whoa, that's not the same Spirit. Verse 9, to another, faith by the same Spirit, to another, gifts of healing by the same Spirit, Uh, to another, the working of miracles, to another, prophecy, to another, the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another, various kinds of tongues, and to another, the interpretation of tongues. A lot of those gifts might sound supernatural or even mystical, don't they? With a list like that, if, if you wanted an experience, you might have come to the right place. But I want to ask you to remember two key things from these verses. Number one, Paul kept saying to another over and over again, didn't he? And As we'll see when we get a little deeper into this topic in chapter 14, and here starts in the sermon where I keep saying, I'm going to talk more about this later. I'm sorry, I have to keep saying that over and over, okay? But we'll get a little deeper into this in chapter 14. The corinthians didn't want to settle for a gift They didn't want to settle for some gifts They certainly didn't want any of those gifts that weren't as spectacular or shiny or amazing to the eye They wanted the ones they thought were the most amazing The idea the more spiritual you are the more faith you have the bigger and better spiritual gift you can acquire That's what they wanted Work yourself up into a frenzy. Become ecstatic and get the gifts. And we can see even in these verses, that thinking doesn't work. It's wrong. God gives these gifts to whom he wills, when he wills, and as effectively as he wills. Number two, we have to be really careful when we read this list of gifts. We need to be careful that we don't make the same kind of mistake that the Corinthian church made. And by that I mean this. When the Corinthians saw things like languages, tongues, utterances, miracles, prophecies, they had some ideas already in their head from their past that were very easy to to assign to these new ideas, these words. Do you see how they could carry the old paganism into these ideas? Hopefully by now the answer is yes. And even when you read commentaries today, uh, you find all kinds of definitions or even ideas that go along with each of the gifts listed in this passage. Some commentaries you read will say, all of these are sign gifts. Some commentaries, they'll say, none of these are sign gifts. And everywhere in between. Everywhere in between. Why? Well, When we see utterances and tongues and healings in or around the church today, what do we think of? And we're probably not thinking of Corinthian paganism, I would guess. But what are we thinking of? Well, I would venture to say that we probably think of a movement that got its start at the turn of the 20th century, 1900. It's a long time after the first century church. And it didn't really start to pick up steam until the 1950s and the 1960s. That movement is called the Charismatic Movement, the Pentecostal Church. Now, please understand, other than an unusual group here, an unusual group there, like maybe, for instance, like the Quakers, every 100 or 200 years or so, something like that would pop up. And the vast majority of the church at large, universal church, would think, what's that all about? What are they doing? And the movement that we see before our eyes today got its start really around 1900 and didn't really pick up steam until the 50s and 60s. Nobody was doing or claiming to do the things that the charismatic movement has claimed to be doing. So I say all that to ask you, Please do not think that when you saw, when you heard someone claiming to be speaking in tongues, or laughing uncontrollably, or supposedly getting slain in the spirit and falling backward into the catchers when the coat was waved before their body or something like that, please do not take those things and put them in the text of 1 Corinthians chapter. Does that make sense? The tongues that you think of today, when you think of tongues, don't assume that when Paul says tongues in 1 Corinthians that that's what he's talking about. Don't inject that into the text. Okay? It's not the same thing. If anything, it might more closely replicate what we see today will probably more closely replicate what Paul is rebuking in this chapter. And especially when we get to chapter 14, we'll see what he's rebuking in 1 Corinthians 12 and 13 and 14. I think it's quite possible that Paul listed out these gifts because they were all at risk of being abused in some way in the Corinthian church, which means uh, in other churches as well, meaning perhaps there are two kinds of definitions that could be ascribed to each of these gifts. Two kinds. A wrong kind and a right kind. In any case, we have to be very careful that we don't put a counterfeit spirituality into the context of what the Word of God is addressing in this passage, just like the original audience had to be careful of. Okay? Now, again, I'm going to talk much more... uh, more than than I can today about sign gifts and, and charismatic movement and all that kind of stuff when we get to chapter 14. But for today, let's take a minute. I'd be remiss not to take a minute to just talk spiritual gifts and think through what are some spiritual gifts that are mentioned in Scripture. Well, how would they be defined as we look at this uh, today? It'll be a while before we get back to a spiritual gifts passage, so let's talk about it for a second, okay? And we have gifts passages in here in 1 Corinthians. Uh, if you're jotting things down, Romans 12, Six through eight gives a list of spiritual gifts. Ephesians four, eleven and twelve give offices. Offices in the church, gifted by God for the common good of the church. And in first Peter four, ten and eleven, Peter doesn't even list any specific gifts. All he does is say there's two types. There's speaking gifts and serving gifts. Talking and doing, okay? Not that talking's not doing, okay? But you get the idea, alright? All talk, no action, they say. No, not like that. But before I go through this list, it's important to remember, spiritual gifts are, number one, chosen by God. Who gets to pick your gifts? God. Spiritual gifts are, number two, given by God. Do you earn them? No. Do you pay for them? No. Do you believe hard enough to get them? No. They are given by God. Number three, they are for the benefit of others. We've been there. We've talked about that. Number four, and this is one that I think we forget. And it can cripple us or give us an excuse, maybe even two. Spiritual gifts are being used when you're serving, whether you have discovered them, identified them, or not. You don't have to take a spiritual inventory test and fill out the right bubbles on the, on the sheet and pass the personality test that kind of is used as a spiritual gifts inventory and have a card that you carry that says which gift you have for you to be ready to serve. You following me? (laughs) That's not necessary. You are using your spiritual gifts when you're serving, whether you know what they are called or not. The number one question about spiritual gifts is not, what is my gift? The number one question is, am I willing to serve? Am I serving? So here are some probable definitions taken from our Sunday school notes. Remember that thing we used to do called Sunday school? So great. We should start doing that again sometime. (laughs) Lord willing, soon. Uh, But these notes were taken primarily from uh, John MacArthur, Richard Mayhew's systematic theology, and he lists them two ways. Uh first the revelatory or confirmatory gifts revelation confirmation being those root words these would be gifts that were given and used when and specifically in a time when new revelation from God is being given we see the same things in the old testament when like Elijah and Elisha when new testament pro- or old testament prophets scriptures are being written in those times think Moses as well what's happening that's when we see signs and miracles taking place in Scripture and not really in other times. Miracles were very unusual throughout the Bible. We just read those a lot and we think they're happening all the time, but they weren't. Okay, so these would be some of those revelatory, confirmatory gifts. The office of apostle, men commissioned by Jesus to establish the church. In the book of Ephesians, it talks about Christ being the cornerstone, the apostles being the foundation. And then the church is the building, built upon the foundation with Christ as the cornerstone. If all our church was as a foundation, we would have nowhere to meet, right? It's not all foundation. There are not more apostles. We don't need them. I already talked about this last week. I'm not an apostle, right? Okay, second one, distinguishing between spirits. The idea of discerning between true and false revelations. Remember in Acts the Bereans, Paul went there, preached there, and they searched the scriptures to see if these things were so. Uh, Healing, restoring the sick, the injured, to health. Miracles, performing works that are contrary to natural processes. Uh, Prophecy, communicating direct revelation from God to others. Thus saith the Lord, God told me to tell you. Okay? Tongues, speaking in a real known language not previously learned. That's what we see in Acts. When Pentecost happened, and we'll look at chapter 14 to say, is this a different kind of tongues or not? So we'll get there, okay? But when we see it happening, when the Bible says it's happening and it's clear it was of God, there are people there who heard their mother tongue, their heart language. So I would speak in English— and I would know what I'm saying, but what comes out and what is heard by the person who maybe speaks Spanish or Korean or German or whatever, they would hear their language and know what I'm saying. Interpretation of tongues is just the opposite. Okay, The hearing of it, the being able to interpret for others. Which then gives us a reminder, not everyone has all the same gifts, do they? Not everyone has the gift of tongues. Not everyone had the gift of interpretation of tongues. Uh, the utterance of knowledge, communicating insight from a direct prophecy, a revelation from God. Uh, and the key of, for these is utterances. Uh, we know what knowledge and, and wisdom, wisdom usually being defined as something like knowledge applied application, um, but the idea of utterance of it, like a new revelation kind of a thing. And then the listed service and speaking gifts. These would be gifts that we'd say, we have the finished work of God. There is not new revelation from God coming. And these gifts are happening and active today. Evangelism. Effectively communicating the gospel to the unsaved. We might see maybe 10 Christians uh, witnessing to this group of people. And man, it seems like this person, uh, they're seeing people come to faith in Christ. It's not because they're being more obedient or sharing a better gospel. It may just be because God gave them a special gifting. It doesn't mean the other nine shouldn't share the gospel either, by the way. It just means that God's gifting that person. There's fruit. Um, exhorting, stirring up growth in godly biblical thinking and actions. Faith, trusting in God and exuding confidence in his will and purposes. You might think about it this way in our time right now. With all of the stuff going on, we might read the news and go, ah, the world is crazy. What's happening? What's going on? You know, is this a, is this it? And we think about all these things, and, and a person of, with a gift of faith reminds you, hey, Jesus Christ is on the throne. God is sovereign. This ends well for us, And and that hasn't changed one bit. And he's going to help you today. He's going to help you tomorrow. And, and in our weakness, he is made strong. They might have that shared with you. And you might go, oh, okay, let's go. That person may have a gift of faith. Okay? Uh, giving. Joyfully and sacrificially contributing earthly possessions toward the work of the ministry. Um, helping, serving, seeing, and helping to meet the needs of other Christians. Leading, administration, organizing Christians toward a unified goal of accomplishing ministry. Mercy, seeing and sympathizing, empathizing, and meeting the needs of other Christians who are hurting, suffering. Our mercy people are struggling with not being able to go to the hospitals, not being able to go into people's homes like they would want to. Uh, It's hard. That's a thing they would love to be doing and being effective in. Prophecy. Notice prophecy was in both lists. But prophecy itself just means proclaiming the truths of scripture, of God's revealed word. So actually, I'm doing that right now. Okay? Prophecy just means forth telling the truth of God's word. Uh, shepherds, leading, protecting, feeding, caring for the people of God. Spiritual discernment, identifying doctrinal error and false teaching, which is contrary to scripture. And then teaching. Clarity in interpreting, explaining, and applying the scripture. That was a lot, and it was fast. It was probably like fire hose mode there, okay? You're not gonna remember that, and I'm kinda okay with that. Cause what do we do with those lists? We get all dissecting them up, one, one side and down the other. What do I have? What do I have? Do I have two gifts? Do I have three gifts? Do I have Don't worry about it. If God gave it to you, you're gonna use it, okay? Here's what we need to take. Uh, we need to take a mandatory commercial break. I got ahead of my notice to tell you we're taking a commercial break, okay? None of these passages, not 1 Corinthians, not Romans, not 1 Peter, none of these lists are exhaustive. Meaning, none of these lists are the definitive, full list of all the gifts there are. Okay? Peter simply acknowledges the categories, as I've said before. Paul's lists, when he wrote them, in their context were more like a, for instance. Paul would say, spiritual gift stuff. Let me teach about spiritual gifts. Here's an example of some gifts that there are. That's all he was trying to do when he wrote those passages. So therefore, should we really think that we have a list of every possible way the Spirit can gift people for service for the common good? I say, probably not. Could there be more gifts than what the Scriptures list out in these gifts, given the fact that they were never intended to be exhaustive, complete lists? I think the answer is no. I would not be convinced that the lists we have in Scripture of spiritual gifting are truly exhaustive. So, if you've ever taken a spiritual gifts inventory test, and if you don't know what I'm talking about, those are like, there's 20, 30, 40, 50 questions, and they're all, you know, would you be prone to share the gospel with a person you've never met before? And uh, there's five bubbles, right? There's very likely, likely, maybe if I'm feeling good that day, not likely, ain't gonna happen, right? You have those—and that's exactly how they say them, right? You no, know, they have those five answers that you can give, and then you tabulate all your numbers, and do-do-do-do-do-do-do, do do, 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 do ping, ding and then it says, you have the gift of. That's not scriptural, necessarily. I'm not saying it's evil by any means, okay? If it's helpful, great. But if you take those gifts enough, you probably get whatever gift you want, You start learning how they work, and you can answer fives where you want and ones where you don't want. Like, I don't want to the gift of evangelism. That's kind of scary. I'm going to say one to all those things, and now I don't have to do it. Bad answer, by the way. Don't do that, okay? That's not how that works. Uh, Those spiritual gifts tests, if you take those, and if they leave you with more questions, please don't worry about that. Don't worry about that. If you've never taken the spiritual gifts inventory test, don't feel like you have to. And if you do... Remember that it isn't inspired. If you take them enough, as I said before, you get whatever result you want. Remember, there are a variety of gifts, a variety of service, of ministries, a variety of effect. God is perfectly bringing about his will through the service of his people. And we, each and every one of us, has been gifted exactly how God designed us to be gifted. And whatever combination of gifts listed in Scripture or potentially not listed, uh, whatever we have. We might even be gifted in different ways at different times, with different people, with different needs. If we move from place to place, even in different churches. The important thing in all of this is not to go to the extreme of mystifying the spiritual gifts, of trying to make it like it's, it's an amazing, spectacular show. Uh, The other extreme we don't want to go to is, is to treat it like a personality test at a new job. The important thing for us to do is to love God. Love people and serve them. And we will serve them best and with the most fruit as we serve them in the manner that God's given us to the church to serve best. If you really want to find your gifting... Serve. If you want to find your gifting, start serving. And the needs that start catching your eye the most, the things that people start asking you to do again, sometimes like, oh, thanks for doing that. Mm, maybe something else should be good for you, right? It might be a sign, okay? Uh, if they're asking you to do it again, uh, things that seem to be making the greatest impact for godliness in the church, or even a greater impact in seeing the lost come to Christ. You and others see that more and more. When that's happening, keep doing that. Keep doing that. Um, think about it this way. You say, I have no idea what my spiritual gifting is. And so I'm just going to kind of hang out here. I say, whoa, whoa, let's start serving somewhere. Can you can you work? Uh, just for instance, can you work in the nursery? I say, I don't know. Let's just, just do it, okay? Okay, I'm going to serve in the nursery. And as you serve in the nursery... Some of you serving in the nursery, you might think, oh man, I love these babies. I love seeing them start to walk, start to talk. I love being able to be the first person kind of that, that tells them about Jesus and, and shows them these pictures and I just love being able to be a part of that. Some mates serve in the nursery and go, man, my favorite part is when mom and dad come to the nursery and I get to talk to them and I say, how you doing this week? I'm praying for you. Uh, the baby's doing great. You guys are doing a great job. That can just to lift them up and encourage them. Maybe another person working in the nursery, they're in there and they say, man, you know what? The preaching of the Word of God is so important. I'm thankful to be able to, to take these little ones and, and care for them so that mom and dad can go out in the auditorium and really be able to focus on what's happening out there. You see what's happening? That's just three people or four people working in the nursery. All of them motivated by different things. All of them, though, headed in the same direction. A diversity of gifts. Different effects right? But the same God. And you see those things, and that might be helpful to indicate to you what kind of gifting you might have, okay? And and we refine those things. We get after those things. I'm not saying everybody has to work in the nursery, okay? But just start serving and see what God can use you to do. Uh, Verse 11, this last verse. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit, who apportions to each one Individually, as he wills. Who chooses what gifting I'm going to have, that you're going to have? God. Who chooses who your gift is for? God. Who determines how effective you'll be? Praise the Lord. God. God does. So what's our job? What is your job? Are you supposed to preoccupy, preoccupy yourself with finding out which gift you've been given? before you hit the go button, or should you love the church God has placed you in fellowship with, see needs. Have a special desire to serve and to meet those needs for the benefit of others, and maybe, maybe then you'll be able to better identify, or even better, other Christians will help you to identify where you serve the best. To identify those special gifts that you've been given for the common good. Good. So church, please be encouraged. Every one of you has been gifted. There might be some people you look at and you go, man, I wish I had gifts like that person. You do. You do. And God has given you those gifts on purpose for the good of the church. Jump into it and serve with them, okay? Every one of you has been gifted. The Spirit of God, number two, the Spirit of God is manifested through your service. Say, boy, I want to see the Spirit working in my life. Serve. Serve. Be a doer. Be a doer. Remember that that person running the orphanage, if they had a pile of money on their table but no heat, they weren't being a doer, were they? Ideas are great. Constructive criticism is appreciated. And when we have votes, we want you to participate and to vote. And How wonderful is it when 100% of our people are doing 100% of the serving in our church? Sadly, the saying goes that only about 15% of the people tend to do 100% of the work, and that's all over the place. That's not like a saying that I've heard us say. Everywhere, that's what's said. I haven't done the math here. I'm not planning to do the math here. I'm not so sure that would be a very healthy exercise. Uh, nor do I think that it could ever be accurate because uh, of all that goes on that is unseen. You know, like not letting the left hand know what the right hand is doing. We don't all have to get a spot in the bulletin to tell everybody what we did this week to serve people, do we? That's not how that works. So we're never going to get an accurate number anyways. And, And some of God's people say amen to the idea that not all serving is in front of people. Some people really are happy about that, right? Especially in a time like this. Uh, please understand, there is ministry that needs to be done now in a time like this that is never going to be in the bulletin. We're not going to put it on the church calendar. Uh, ministry that you're not going to hear announced from the pulpit. We're having three services on Sunday. We have no Sunday school. We have no nursery. We have no. That stuff is not happening right now, is it? But can all of us be serving? Absolutely. We need to minister to one another all the time. Uh, In our homes, over the phone, through the mail, uh, in meals, reading books together and talking about it afterward, giving advice, uh, giving gifts, sharing encouragement, fixing cars, fixing appliances, stuff like that, mowing people's lawns, taking care of pets when somebody's going out of town. The list could go on and on and on and on. And then also the things that you will see in the bulletin or in the weekly email, like a children's ministry, like nursery, like youth group, like van ministry. We need people serving in those areas. And I don't mean that like we have them and thank you, we need them. I mean that and we need people. Lord willing, if we have these things going on in the fall, we're going to need people who weren't doing it before who will do it now. We need you. Okay? We need you to keep these things going, whether it's the fall or the winter or the spring. Only the Lord knows. The point is, there's always going to be something you can do. But we can only serve each other if we're seeking to love one another. That's first. Are we seeking to love God? Are we seeking to love one another? To be engaged with each other as a body of believers. God has gifted us to serve Christians for the common good. So let's serve. Let's serve and see what kind of fruit God will bless us with. Let's pray together. Father, again, we thank you so much for your kindness to us. We can be so prone in our hearts to to want a shiny package kind of a gift. And even to compare ourselves, to think that some gifts are are better or superior or more stylish or more admired by people, to think that other people are better gifted or that I'm poorer gifted or anything like that. God, God, help us. Help us to understand and see that you have gifted every single one of us for the common good that each one of your children here at First Baptist Church would uh, love you, growing in their love for you, growing in our love for one another, that we would all understand that we all need the church and that the church needs all of us. That we would pitch in together, identify needs, serve people, love people, share the gospel with people. Lord, we thank you that um, when we do that, people see the Spirit of God in us, working through us. We thank you, Lord, that when we obey you and follow you and, and pursue uh, your will, that you bring fruit. God, thank you for letting us be a part of your glorification through the building of Christ's church. And may we be all in uh, to love you with our whole heart, soul, mind, and strength, to love our neighbor as ourselves and to fulfill this great commission that you've given us. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.